All right, so you'll need, <clears throat> you'll need from the hymnal, the responsive prayer 1, page 282, that's where we'll start, and then Psalm 127 from the hymnal, and I'll read from the Bible. Uh, I'm, I'm recording, so some people requested that, so for future reference, and then you've got the sheet, applying the fourth, fifth, and sixth commandments to our lives as young adults. That's me, I'm a young adult. The age of, I'm eight years old. Six plus two is eight, right? Okay. And we'll do the afternoon, uh, the afternoon column on the responsive prayer one. Sorry, Alec, am I rushing you? No. Okay. Is that your third helping or your? Second. Second, okay. It, it was good. Thank you yes. very much. Yes, it was very good. Elijah and Gabrielle, or thank your mom, or I will. Let us begin. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, have mercy and hear us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. In the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. Lord, keep this nation under your care, and guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Let us pray. O God, for our redemption, you gave your only begotten Son to the death of the cross. And by his glorious resurrection, delivered us from the power of the enemy. Grant that all our sin may be drowned through daily repentance, that day by day we may arise to live before you in righteousness and purity forever. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. In Psalm 20, 127, 
And we'll pray it responsively by half verse. The half verse uh, is at the asterisk. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Now, Psalm 127 has everything to do with our topic today as we look at fourth, fifth, and sixth commandments and apply them to us. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, uh, those who build it labor in vain. The house being referred to here is not simply the earthly dwelling made of, you know, wood or stone or brick, but the home made up of a husband, wife, children, okay? Notice also, unless the Lord watches over the city, that's the second half of verse 1. So the psalm articulates the idea that marriage and family are the basic building blocks of all society and culture. And this is true even um, in countries, nations that are not ostensibly of Christian background. Uh, it's, it's written into the natural law of the human heart. The, without a man and a woman coming together, there are no children. So the man and woman coming together, children are created. The word for that, procreation, not professional baby making, but pro means you're coming alongside of God. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you come alongside of God, procreation. Okay, he takes us into his creative work. Um, and <clears throat> as the family goes in all societies and in all cultures, so goes the nation, so goes the country. So where marriage and family are healthy, where children honor father and mother, there's a corresponding blessing upon the society the culture. Governments have an easier time of it. Governmental authority is rooted in the authority of father and mother. So it's interesting how this first one takes in both. You know, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And then <clears throat> verse 3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. See how that connects with when we've looked at Genesis, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, like the arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. 
uh, blessed is the man who has his quiver. Do you know what a quiver is? Holds arrows, you know? So here, to have the quiver filled with, with children, okay? That's a blessing. Yes, Savannah. My uncle has a tattoo of arrows in his quiver of, for all six of his sons. On his arm. Yep. It's, okay, so it's based on this. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, it's true, you know, sometimes because of the fall into sin and the curse of the fall, out of which things like disease come and so forth, there are those godly, believing couples who, for medical reasons, are unable to have children. That doesn't mean they're subhuman or less than human. The marriage rite says when it is God's will you know, for the procreation of children. So, but it can be very tough on them wanting to celebrate and share their love and life for each other, but being denied the gift of children. Um, I have observed over the years how, uh, th what a great blessing it is as parents age to have children, adult children then, who, whom they can rely upon. And how sad it is when they're left all alone. We have a lady in our congregation, her husband died way back in the early 90s. Her daughter, my age, um, mysteriously died uh, when I was in Africa back in 20, uh, 2018. I was in Kenya when it happened. And she has one um, elderly sister, no other children, you know. So what she's been doing even more is drawing closer to the Lord's house, like in the New Testament, Simeon and Anna. Uh, so when the earthly supports of marriage and family fail, you know, here's death, and then they're unable to have children or only one child, and then she died, um, the loneliness is made up for by the church. So <clears throat> the church is a family, too, where we're baptized, uh, children of God, and then... Uh, this is where on Christmas, you know, how Jesus, the, four, the uh, prophecy, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Not because Jesus and the Father are the same person, they're not. But in terms of the church, our spiritual Father is Jesus, both our spiritual Father and our brother. Alec? What do you think of adoption? Adoption is a wonderful uh, thing. Adoption is wonderful for a number of reasons. <coughs> It provides the opportunity for there to be a Christian home for these children who, for whatever reason, have lost their parents. So my mother was orphaned when she was six, and she was adopted when she was nine. And her, the younger siblings found themselves in that situation as well. And every one of, it was a Lutheran orphanage in Addison, Illinois, and uh, every one of those children that were adopted remain staunchly steadfast uh, in their Christian faith. It's a good for another, it's a blessing for another reason, because baptism is called adoption, you know, that we might receive the adoption as, as sons of God through the sonship of Christ and so forth. So 
it gives us an opportunity where God, we've been we're aliens and enemies of him and he claims us, uh, which is a great comfort you know, in our baptism. All right, and then Mark 10, just, just to have this background, uh, this is Mark 10. Did I have you look at, turn to that? I just want you to have it in mind, because this is Jesus' catechesis, uh, Mark 10. We could look at the parallel, which is in Matthew 19, but Jesus' catechesis on Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of man, the institution of marriage, and the sanctity and love that he has for children. So it's Mark chapter 10. Jesus arose from there, came to the region of Judea, by the other side of the Jordan, and the people gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? Now, before giving his answer, see, the Pharisees who prided themselves in being super holy, experts in the law, they wanted to catch Jesus in his words or some sort of contradiction with the Old Testament scriptures, particularly of the Torah, Moses. And among the things that disturbed the Pharisees was how Jesus received sinners and ate with them. They didn't think that that was right. If you're a prophet, if you're a rabbi, you shouldn't associate with the likes of people like you. Okay, that's, that's how um, they thought. So they thought that Jesus was squandering God's uh, mercy because for them, God's mercy came to those who deserve it as opposed to those who don't deserve it and whose faith is in Christ. All right, so, <clears throat> and they thought that they could catch him because in the Old Testament, there was a provision for divorce. You get tired of your wife, then you could just write a certificate of divorce according to the Torah, give it to her, you were released, then you could go on to another woman. So the Pharisees were really good at practicing serial monogamy. You know, monogamy is where you only have one spouse, but they would go from one to another to another, and they'd keep the law because they'd do the divorce according to what the Torah said. All right, so that's the background. Jesus answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. It's Deuteronomy chapter 24. Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept or command. What does hardness of heart refer to? Stubbornness, yep, that flows from what? Impenitence, right, and unbelief. But now Jesus goes on. You want to quote the law? Okay. From the beginning of the creation, God, quote, made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, verses 6, 7, and 8 come from Genesis 1, the first book of the Torah, verse 27, as well as Genesis 2, the end of that chapter. 
So here's the creation of man as male and female. That's not very woke. And then the creation and institution of marriage. And the two shall become one flesh. I remember I, uh, when we talk about the commandments for today and God's protect, protection of marriage and, and family and so forth, um, I remember when I first discovered this, in the Passion according to St. John, Jesus, they're going to break the legs of the criminals, one on either side of him to make sure they're dead, and then Jesus was already dead, so they don't break his legs. Instead, the soldier takes a spear and pierces his side, out comes blood and water. Right before that, Jesus had said to Mary, woman, behold your son, referring to John, the apostle, then son, behold your mother. And um, years ago, I didn't realize the connection is here. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So as, as Eve was created out of Adam's side, so the second Adam, his bride, the church, is created out of his side. Mary, uh, Jesus gives Mary over to John, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife because the relationship is now going to change. So that'll, that'll touch a number of things for today's discussion too, how no matter how good our marriages are or how good our families are, they're still subject to sin and to human weakness. So it's only in Christ, the incarnation, the enfleshment of the Son of God, his union with his bride, the church, and the offspring, see, he's the everlasting father of the baptized children of God in the waters of baptism, that we, that we actually see the fulfillment of what God intended for humanity uh, at creation. Okay, so anyway, what God has joined together, let not man separate, Verse 10, and in the house his disciples asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So he's talking about according to the law, marriage is supposed to be one man and one woman for life until death does them part. Any other relationship is by definition, according to the law, adultery. Then they brought to him young children. It's not an accident that that is next in Mark's chronicling of these things, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. So you get the blessing of Jesus. Do you have salvation? Yes. Yeah. You can't receive the Lord's blessing and be in a state of condemnation. So anybody who wants to know, you know, uh, is salvation for children, little children? Yes. In fact, Luke's account of this, he uses the word brephe in Greek, which means Infants, suckling infants. How about that? All right. Let's go to the let's go to our sheet before you and then. Pastor. Yep. If the husband divorces the wife and 
then the wife gets married. Is that <clears throat> well, according to the law, any marriage that's not the original marriage prior to death separating them is a considered an adulterous thing. That's how strict the law is on it. Now, it's a good thing we're not saved by the strictness of the law. Remember what Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, uh, he allowed for there to be divorce because people are going to divorce anyway. So in the Old Testament, there was a means to do it, not because God just thought divorce is the greatest thing. It's not. It's destructive of family. Okay, Bryce? Are there grounds where they talk about like when it's like not okay to divorce, but like if like abandonment and if they commit adultery while married? Yeah, in 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about uh, two things. It's a abandonment or a refusal to allow you to be a Christian. So, because uh, even adultery can be forgiven, right? Now, it's a, it's a terrible breach in a marriage, adultery. But I have um, counseled and helped couples who have not divorced even though there's been adultery. So we believe in something that makes reconciliation possible. What's that? Christ, yeah, forgiveness. It makes reconciliation possible. But in 1 Corinthians, if you had this phenomenon where you had two pagans, they were married. One of them becomes a Christian, the other does not. Now what? Paul says, don't separate. As long as that unbelieving spouse is willing to live with you, stay married for the sake of the children and everything else. But if they refuse to allow you to be a Christian, you're not bound in those cases. Okay? Yes. All right, so the fourth commandment, what I'd like to do for you is we, we looked at the first table of the law two times ago. We started on these commandments last time, and now I've got a sheet for you you can take home with you. But the fourth commandment, God protects his institution and gift of family. And then I quote the commandment. We got the small catechism. Under the fifth commandment, God protects the gift of human life made in his image and then under the sixth commandment, God protects his gift of marriage. And you could say human sexuality too. But going back, uh, <clears throat> I wanted you to see the relationship between these three commandments again. And what God intends to predict, uh, protect. So institution and gift of family, human life, marriage. Family, human life, marriage. Do you see how in God's order they go together? Family, human life, marriage. In God's order, he intends life to come into the world through a husband and a wife who, when they have children, become father and mother and a family is created. So the protection of family, uh, human life, and marriage. So honor your father and your mother. I don't know if you remember those of you who had, uh, in the academy, chapel talks and so forth. I, I generally talked about the fourth commandment as God's wanting to protect his authority in this world, and that's true. But I want you to think about the authority that God has vested in the institution called family, which is made up of a husband, wife, 
who become father and mother and children. And that that's foundational and bedrock. <clears throat> because he wants life to be created and nurtured and protected and cared for in the family. Which is then sixth commandment, the, one of the crowning purposes of marriage. Okay, so you see how they all kind of make a trinity and they go together. So uh, you can answer the questions. What is the fourth commandment? <clears throat> Honor your father and your mother. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. So hopefully this paragraph begins to make you think beyond you know, your catechesis prior to confirmation. The fourth commandment calls us to believe in the sanctity of God's gift of family and to honor his authority in the home as the foundational authority in all of society and culture. Now by family here, we're not really talking about man's conceptualization or modern man or some woke idea of family, but we're talking about God's order, God's design. The benevolent dominion, <clears throat> that phrase, bene volent. Who are the Latin scholars here? Alec? Bene? Yeah. Good. And volent? Will. Will. Okay. So, the, the good and the gracious will. So benevolent dominion, it's a gracious will, a gracious dominion over uh, the creation. So the benevolent dominion that God gave to man over the creation is exercised through the authority of father and mother in the care and nurture of children. So notice the relationship. Remember, let us, triune God is speaking, make man in our image, after our likeness, let them have dominion over the creation, be fruitful and multiply. So your, all of you have experienced this. Your parents exercised God's dominion over you growing up, right? And it was supposed to be, anyway, a benevolent, a good and gracious, loving exercise of dominion. Not, Micah, get me a beer out of the refrigerator. Micah, do this. Micah, do that. You know, where you have children so we can have slaves. Okay? Now, you may have felt like a slave at times, but <clears throat> you didn't change your own diaper. Did you? Hannah, you didn't, did you? Yeah, I, I can't say I ever did either. Except I, this was really great. I spoke at this conference in Nebraska, Grand Island, Nebraska, this summer on... Uh, education. Dr. Christian Preuss, who's in his 30s, brilliant guy. He's, he's the senior pastor out in Casper, Wyoming. He's also uh, involved as, I think, chairman of the board for the new uh, Luther Classical College out there. And uh, <clears throat> he made the uh, observation at the beginning of his paper. We're glad to see everybody here. Glad to see Pastor Bender here. He changed my diaper when I was a baby. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> I thought that was kind of neat. <clears throat> anyway. So their exercise of authority, the, the dominion and the procreative gift 
of children in Genesis go together. Okay. Uh, the calling of parents to discipline and teach their children is not for their own self-service, but for the welfare and benefit of their children. So pause and think about that for a moment. Whether your parents always did a good job or not, I think I can say, knowing you, that there's not a father or mother of any of the people in this room uh, who don't love you. Now, they made mistakes. I'll be the first to admit that. But they were there disciplining and teaching you to the best of their ability, not out of self-service you know, for themselves, but for your benefit, for your welfare. And if you think about that, that is good governments are the same. Bad governments are not. Bad governments, you know, my favorite to talk about is the Nazi fascism or the uh, totalitarian communism and so forth. It's there to serve the political machine. The loss of individualism and human identity in those bad governments. Okay? Whereas in, in a, a democratic republic such as ours, it is at its best. It's slipping. Our, our own society and culture is going away from this, but at its best, uh, congressmen, mayors, governors, what have you, presidents, are serving in a public trust, not for their benefit, but for the welfare and benefit of the citizenry. Okay. As parents faithfully exercise dominion within the home, children learn to serve their neighbor and the proper exercise of God-given authority in home and in society. So this is where I say, as the family goes, so goes society and culture. Why is there more crime in the cities, major cities of our country? Because family and marriage has broken down. Where marriage and family is honored, then you don't have the kind of crime. Okay. Um, what I'd like to, I think what I want to do is let's go, because then we can open it up to discussion. Any, any questions about that, like that paragraph? All right, so we've got, I've got four bullet points under the subtitle, Confession and Absolution Strengthens Us to Honor Our Parents and the Gift of Family. So, Micah, should I pick on you? Okay. So you should only honor your mom and dad when they always say and do the right things. Is that true? No. No. Even when they don't. Notice how if honor is based on whether or not they always do the right thing or whether or not they always please us, what kind of a faith 
thinks that way. Conditional, self-centered. Yeah, that's true. A works righteous faith. That's my favorite phrase where you have, you either have faith in the grace of God or you have faith in some kind of human work or merit. Remember in our courtship discussion, you know, when you start to, you're attracted to someone because they're pretty or they're handsome, they got a nice personality, all of these wonderful qualities. And, but in Christian marriage, and that's what great, it's a great gift. I don't recommend, you know, marrying someone you have no attraction to. However, when you get married, you're actually pledging yourself to love in a higher way. Even if she is kind of ugly at times, the way she acts, or he's kind of brutish, the way he acts. You're, in marriage, you're actually pledging yourself to love according to faith and the grace of God as opposed to human merit, a works righteous faith. Okay. So confession and absolution strengthens us to honor our parents and the gift of family. Do I honor my, these are self-examination, you know, towards confession. Do I honor my father and my mother despite their failings because they have been called into their office by God to exercise his authority? Now that's for you to think about on your own. Um, yeah, God stands behind even a bad father. What is God trying to do in my life through this crummy circumstance. Faith in, this is where our Christian faith allows us to cope with situations that are difficult. Okay? I think some of you know that I had a very rough childhood with a stepfather who was, um, in addition to being alcoholic, you know, he wanted to be the center of attention and it spoiled every birthday, every holiday, and so forth. But I'm grateful for that because it helped me becoming a pastor, being able to empathize with kids in that situation, with that type of thing going on in family, and then to bring uh, in, in broken homes to bring that, um, you know, help to them. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but, you know, so our perspective as Christians, which is why we honor even those who don't deserve honor, is, is to learn to believe that God can work his good through that. Is there any civil authority that you can think of in the Bible that was honored? And by so honoring that civil authority, God accomplished his greatest good. Lisa? Um, when I thought you had an answer right now. I did. Joe? Jo? Uh, yeah. yeah. Nebuchadnezzar II, I believe. Ooh, okay, how about that? <clears throat> uh, he, Daniel, yep. 
Yep, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the yeah. good that was brought out of that, even though he was, he was not exactly a uh, Lutheran. He wasn't the nicest guy. He wasn't the nicest guy. Yes, he was. That's, that's exactly correct. I believe because of that, his kingdom was strengthened because of that. And it later on it was. That's, that's exactly true. He was relatively honored. So you don't, yeah, you don't always know what God is, has in mind with what he allows in the affairs of man. The most obvious one, which we confessed about in the creed, and we just came out of with Holy Week, yeah, Jesus honoring Pontius Pilate. Okay. All right, so here, the next bullet. Have I trusted God to bless me and make my life good when I submit to the authority of my parents and those who are over me? I guarantee you one thing. If you uh, flip off the boss or you cuss him, it ain't going to go. He may deserve it, but it isn't going to go well with you, Bryce. Or Jake? It'll work. Huh? It'll work. It'll work? It's yeah. satisfying. Yeah. Uh, do I faithfully represent God the Father in disciplining, caring for, and catechizing my children? Now, this question and the next one are turning it around. Sometimes we think only that the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, only has to do with children or with uh, citizens toward the civil authority. But it also has something to say about those who have this, the authority, fathers and mothers or governmental officials. Mm -hmm. So that's what this is. Do I faithfully represent God? You know, I ask myself that question in disciplining, caring for, and catechizing my children. And I would say there is two areas I will confess to you as a father that I failed most miserably. One was impatience with my sons. The other related to impatience was this, getting unduly angry with them because I saw the things in them that I didn't like in myself. Now, you might find yourself that might be a little keen insight for you in your life with your parents, even as young adults now. You know, maybe what upsets them about you are things that upset them about themselves. So they're, they're unduly harsh with you, like they're going to beat out of you the same sins or failings that they saw in themselves. Do you want to Get a testimony there, Bryce? Or? <laughs> I'm, I'm, look, I'm seeing the, uh, there's some kind of connection anyway being made there. Okay. And then the last bullet here, again, is for the parent. Am I threatening, abusive, or overbearing to others in my household or workplace? Yeah. So and notice how, I mean, those sins militate or fight against the idea of God has given us benevolent dominion, you know, over the creation. Alec? Okay. Daniel? Oh. What? <laughs> if I see a hand that, you know, I might. All right. Move on to the fifth commandment. God protects the gift of human life made in his image. What is the fifth commandment? You shall not 
What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. The, the small catechism's emphasis on body is important, even though, even though hatred, grudge-bearing is a form of murder. The catechism's explanation especially highlights body. And that's significant because the Son of God was conceived bodily in the womb of Mary, born bodily as a baby nine months after his conception. Uh, he ate, he drank, he slept, okay? He ministered to people bodily. He was crucified bodily. He rose again from the dead bodily. So the body is pretty important. So central to human life is that we are body and soul, okay? So the fifth commandment calls us to believe that all human life from the time of conception is made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love and is, therefore, holy and sacred. God alone creates life, and only God has the right to end a life. God calls us to participate with him in bringing life into the world and to nurture and protect life. See, so there you've got be fruitful and multiply and have dominion put together. Okay? Uh, and he wants that to happen, the procreation and the dominion, through his institution of marriage and family. So we live in a world today in which man decides what should be. But the Christian point of view is that God created us male and female. God created the institution of marriage. God ordered family, not us. So the Supreme Court of the United States cannot define marriage. It does, but it can't. And by the way, if you use the arguments that the Supreme Court majority uh, opinion about condoning same-sex marriage uh, used, the same arguments could condone polyamory, where you have multiple partners and you call it marriage, because that's what marriage is for me. Or the same arguments could be used to involve other beings like pets in the marriage relationship, which is sick, yeah, all right? But the same arguments used. So Christians, Christians reject that teaching, and this is an example we must obey God rather than men when it comes to, you know, whether we accept or reject uh, a court ruling, a Supreme Court ruling, or the laws of the land. All right, so then... Um, Conception, birth, and the care of children is called procreation because we come alongside of God and are given the sacred privilege of participating with him in bringing new life into this world and in caring for that life through the fidelity, which is faithfulness, and trust he has extended to us in marriage and family. So when we had our children, God called us to be faithful to them and he entrusted them to us. So I can't say, you know, as my children were growing up, I, 
I don't have nothing to do with those kids. They're on their own. I, I don't have that. That's not even an option. Okay? So a solemn trust from God is extended to us as parents, which again is why marriage is to be lifelong because the care and nurture of children involving a father and mother is to be, you know, lifelong. By the incarnation of the Son of God in human flesh, Jesus honors and redeems the gift of life and upholds the institutions of marriage and family as God ordained them. So if we want to know what it is to be human, look to Jesus. There you'll find out. If you want to know what offices are, what is proper according to your station in life, your calling, you'll look to Christ. Even wives who submit to their husbands as to the Lord Jesus can look to Jesus in that pattern because he yielded to his parents. He yielded even to Pontius Pilate. And that becomes a paradigmatic, you know, an example or a paradigm for us in our lives or for women as, as, as wives. Any question about that paragraph? Okay. Confession and absolution strengthens us to protect, nurture, and serve the gift of life. Protect, nurture, and serve. Again, you see the connection to have dominion. So I've got five questions of self-examination here. Have I reserved the actions that create life for marriage? Now, I was trying not to be um, profane talking about sexual relations there, but those are the actions that, you know, having to do with one's sexuality, have I reserved those actions that create life for marriage? Okay. So it's all forms of fornication would be sin under that. Have I treated my neighbor's body and life as gifts of God to him? coming to the aid and the benefit of my neighbor in need. Do I hate anyone? Or am I angry with anyone? That's a form of murder. To hate your brother. Do I ignore the plight of the helpless? Or am I callous toward genuine need? I don't want to get involved. It's none of my business, not my responsibility. We're actually created by God to be in relationship to others. So the neighbor across the street's husband died suddenly. Well, they weren't practicing Christians, so what does that have to do with me? Well, I went down there to see the widow and to express my sympathy, condolences, what can I do to help you out? That's what it fundamentally is to be Christian and human for that matter. Savannah? Yeah, I was just thinking about like the people on the side of the road holding a sign like I have no money or I need gas or food. Yeah, this is why it says genuine need. Um, because sometimes you're not helping those people 
with their $120 uh, Nikes uh, uh, that make uh, begging in that manner of professional business. It's, it's tough. I think I've told some of you stories in the past about pastors get hit up a lot. Like the woman that called me when I was a pastor in Iowa, this is over 33 years ago, 34 years ago. Oh, pastor, we want to, uh, my husband and I are moving out to, to uh, Harcourt right next to Dayton. We want to become members of your church, Trinity in Dayton. And uh, we're like Mutt and Jeff, you know, he's tall and skinny, I'm short and fat. And, and uh, we were there a few weeks ago and we're moving, and, but we had a car breakdown on our way across the Iowa border and, and it's, we're going to need a new transmission. We can get one from the salvage yard for $467 and something. If you can wire us the money, we can, we can get that taken care of and then you can, we can have you over for dinner when we get into town. Oh, I said, well, I don't, when were you in church? I'm having trouble putting a face to this. So then um, I said, what, what's your address? She gave me some big, long number, like 165482, you know, some big, long number. Harcourt was a town of 600 people. So to live in the town of Harcourt and to have a, an address that was a mile long didn't seem to make sense. She gave me a street address, number address. I said, you know, maybe I can help you. Can you call me back? So I hung up. Call me back in 10 minutes. I called the post office. No such street, no such street address. Then I got an idea. She called back and I said, now this Trinity Dayton was a congregation of no more than 30 on a Sunday morning and no children as I served St. Paul, rural Boone, we had about 240 souls and then the small little trinity in the town of Dayton. So she called back and I said, you know, I might, I might have remembered you. When you came to church back this summer, did you sit in the section with all the children? And she said, yes. And I said, you're a liar because we don't have any children. And then she used colorful metaphors. Cursing me up one side and down the other. So, genuine need. Okay. So, that kind of applies to those people who, like, can't. The people who are capable of finding a job but don't want to. Right, which are. applies to those people. Yeah, a society and culture that encourages. Not working is, a, is, is not healthy. All right, so the last bullet here is, have I injured my neighbor with violent actions? Hitting, beating my neighbor, spoken debasing and insulting words, using foul or dirty words to describe my neighbor, or murdered him with thoughts of anger, contempt, and hatred. Now remember, these, all of these questions are intended to expose our sin that we might confess it and 
be strengthened by Christ's forgiveness and then to teach us to pray for the strength to be faithful um, according to the teachings here of the commandments. All right, let's go on to the sixth commandment. In the sixth commandment, God protects his gift of marriage. What is the sixth commandment? You shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. And I put next to sexually pure, which is the current catechism translation, the older word chaste. Uh, chaste is purity of heart, of mind, of thoughts, of words, of dress. Okay, so it's, it's a... It's a broader and it's also more elegant term in a good way for what was translated as sexually pure. The sixth commandment calls us to believe in the sanctity of marriage as a lifelong commitment of love between a man and a woman. The triune God calls us to honor the gift of being made in his image and likeness as male and female for the giving and receiving of the gift of love and life in marriage and family. So you see again how these commandments all tie together. Our God-given identities as either male or female are properly exercised according to our respective stations in life within God's institution of marriage and family as husband or wife and as father or mother. Jesus honors marriage, life, and family in his conception, birth, faithful subordination to Mary and Joseph, and in his union with his bride, the church. So you can see in that last sentence, again, echoing fourth, fifth, and sixth commandment. But the question, or the statement before that, our God-given identities as either male or female are properly exercised according to our respective stations in life within God's institution of marriage and family as husband or wife and as father or mother. Let me explain what that's talking about. I'm a man, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a grandfather. There is the giving of love or the nurturing of life in all four of those uh, offices, if you will. Man, husband, father, grandfather. But the way in which love and life is communicated physically, bodily, is different depending on the relationship, right? So, for example, the way in which I am called to love my wife physically is very different than the way in which growing up, my kids growing up, I was to love my sons, okay? Both involved physical contact, both involved physical love but very different kind of physical contact according to the, the respective station, right? So that's what this is talking about here. Um, in a previous 
study, I think we talked about friendship too, that when we were talking about courtship and so forth, that friendship, you can be friends and love those within friendship of the same sex or of the opposite sex and not engage in sexual intercourse with them, for example. Okay? Um, and these can be deep and abiding um, relationships and deep and abiding love. Okay? So the love of friendship has its proper place under God's design, as does the love and how it's expressed of parent or a husband or wife, and so forth. So the, the, the Bible really describes what is appropriate and holy versus what is inappropriate and profane. So profane is, is whenever you live or act in your calling in a way that is contrary to the, to the Word of God. Conversely, holiness, sanctity, is when you live your life according to God's word. Okay. Um, perversion is when we uh, abuse God's order by conforming to lusts, appetites, desires of our own flesh. Okay. So confession and absolution strengthens us to live a chaste life as a man or woman. Four points there. Have I reserved sexual intimacy for my spouse in marriage? Notice how that question is very similar to the fifth commandment. First question. Have I reserved the actions that create life for marriage? Can anyone tell me why I included a similar question under both? You understand what I'm asking? Under the fifth commandment, have I reserved the actions that can create life for marriage? And then here, have I reserved sexual intimacy for my spouse in marriage? They're very similar questions, and they're related. Why include them under both commandments? Because the, because it's different, it's different questions, but it's very, you know what I mean? Well, I'm looking at the commonality connection. Elijah? It's the cyclical nature of the, these three commandments in particular, where out of marriage comes family and family comes life. Out of life comes marriage. They're connected in a very close fashion. And, and the sexual union is what produces the life mm -hmm. that creates the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So under the fifth commandment, you can't talk, you can't talk about the gift of human life without talking about the gift of human sexuality, which is central to it, okay? And even the, the act of joyous rapture within intimate union between a man and a woman uh, is directly connected to the giving, sending out of the biological material that creates life. So that's why they're, they're connected. And, and it's important to see that connection because um, we live in an age 
in which human sexuality and our identity as men or women has nothing to do with children or has nothing to do with marriage or has nothing to do with family. And that's a lie. It has everything to do with marriage. It has everything to do with the sanctity of life. It has everything to do with family. Okay. And in this regard, too, I should say, it's important that we embrace the idea we're not just talking when it comes to marriage and, and family um, of spouse. Now, spouse is an okay word, but in our day and age, the union of these two, well, what are these two? I'm glad that our liturgy for marriage says the union of this man and this woman. So it identifies the component parts of marriage, a man and a woman, you know, as opposed to generic. The union of these beings in marriage, whatever, you know, there's three or four different individuals. You got two men, a woman, and a cat. The union of them, or, you know, I mean, but that's. You get some reaction out of you. Okay. So the next question, do I engage in any form of sexual immorality? Again, that's fornication. Do I give myself freely and selflessly in love to my spouse? Have I dishonored my spouse by, neg by neglecting to care for my spouse's body, mind, feelings, and needs? So again, these, these questions are intended to expose sin because we have inclinations and sinful desires and so forth that need to then be confessed that we might be healed by Christ's forgiveness and strengthened by his forgiveness to live faithfully in marriage and family. Okay. Other thoughts or questions you want to ask me about here? You were quiet today. How come, Bryce? Think about the wife and kids. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All the responsibilities. Um, was there anything helpful here, Bryce? Oh yeah. Um, I know he'd be honest with me if you. Yeah. Honoring my wife. Any. Um, anyone want to volunteer what they? feels that uh, maybe among the most significant things we covered today, in your opinion? You might not want to, but yes, Hannah? Um, I think especially like as we're growing up and like becoming adults, like honoring your parents, because you, as you grow up, you like see more of their faults and you see more, and you start disagreeing with some of the things they're saying or some of their actions. So like uh, getting old, getting older and like continuing to honor their actions and what they're being good if you don't necessarily agree with what they're doing is it gets harder. So Well, and that's why, you know, confession absolution is an important part. I think another thing I realized for me personally, like if you grow up as you grow up you start to realize that some of the things they may have said about right too is kind of something Well you didn't think they were right at the time.
Sure. Good. Any other uh, comments? Uh, Fifth Commandment. I, when you were talking about, um, when you asked us why you tied in the same question, my mind went to abortion. Because, like, people are trying nowadays yeah. to. Good. Like, abortion's like, you want to have sexual relations some, with someone without any responsibility. Correct. Afterwards. So that's what I thought. Good. That. And, like, our age range, like, we're trying to find spouses and stuff, and it's a tough age. So, like, going over the Sixth Commandment and those questions, and, like I said, with the abortion kind of stuff. Yeah. And, like, just not holding grudges with people and do you wrong, but just being loving and forgiving in every walk. Good. Yeah, I didn't, I intentionally avoided just simply uh, talking about abortion or euthanasia, you know, so-called mercy killing there, but you're absolutely correct. You want to engage in sexual relations without the responsibility or consequences or accountability. Yeah. So hopefully the paragraphs and then the questions, you know, kind of drew that out. So in our discussion about courtship, you know, and dating, that's, it, it dovetails right in here. If you took that sheet of, how did I, what did I have, 20, 20 statements or something like that, this, this is, it builds on this. This is further mm -hmm. ground for it. Okay. I guess the, the final thing that I would say for you guys is that don't be afraid ever to talk to me about struggles or challenges that you're having. Um, I guess it occurred to me, I don't know why I didn't think about this before, but when we resumed after COVID and started meeting in September, I realized I think there's maybe actually some value uh, for you to have the senior pastor who's 62 years old, you know, leading these discussions. Because there's not only the study of God's word that is my work, but also some experience and background that could be helpful to you. So Usually they give the youth group to the new pastor right out of the seminary. So. I mean, it's true. Yeah. Well, you're, you're stuck with the old guy. Hey, Gabrielle. I'm still trying to get Pastor Christensen to sit in on just, just one or two. Well, he has family to tend to. Let's close with prayer, and then I'll let you guys help clean up. Most merciful God and Father, we give thanks to you for your precious gifts and order in creation. Under the fourth and fifth and sixth commandments protecting your institution and gift of family and human life made in your image and of marriage. Grant us always to honor these estates and gifts according to your word. Forgive us our sins and failings. Help us to see that your order and design for creation and how you have redeemed these gifts in Christ Jesus is ultimately good 
and will lead to our own uh, fulfillment as we live according to your word, the holy life that you have set before us. Teach us to confess our sins, to cry out to you for help in every time of need, and to serve our neighbor honorably in love. Bless all of these young people today and prepare them according to your will for marriage and family as you have designed it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So these are yours. You can take these with you. Hymnals and Bibles on the rack. Oh, next month. Next month. I can't have you on uh, Mother's Day. Your mothers wouldn't like that. Or maybe they would like it. Um, I think we'll be looking at what's better with with end of school things. Is it better the seventh of May or the twenty first? I think the seventh. Let Let's do May seventh. May 7th, first Sunday. I barely studied. I was Whoopsie. 